Hello and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 157, and I'm your host, Brian Williams. I'm Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing the original series' first season episodes, Space Seed, A Taste of Armageddon, and This Side of Paradise. Here we go. Space Seed, Season 1, Episode 22, Production Code 024, Original Air Date, February 16, 1967, Directed by Mark Daniels, Story by Carrie Wilbur, Teleplay by Gene L. Kuhn and Carrie Wilbur, Music Composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include Ricardo Montalban as Khan Noonien Singh, Madeline Rue as Lieutenant Maria Marla McGivers, Blesdell McKee as Spinelli, Mark Tobin as Joaquin, Kathy Ahart as Crewwoman, and John Winston as Transporter Technician. The Enterprise finds the derelict SS Botany Bay floating in space, which was launched from Earth in the 1990s. A landing party comprising Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, and historian Lieutenant Mara McIvers beam over to the freighter. The landing party finds a cargo of 84 humans, 72 of whom are alive in suspended animation after nearly 200 years. One of the pods begins to animate, presumably the leader, but Kirk brings him to the Enterprise for medical examination when his chamber fails. You fled. Why? Were you afraid? I've never been afraid. But you left at the very time mankind needed courage. We offered the world order. We. Excellent. Excellent. Space Seed. <laughs> I have a feeling we all remember this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Adam, start us off on Space Seed, please. Space Seed. Yes, obviously we all remember this one. It's... um. McCarnum McDevon as Khan. Um, very um, even without Rathacon, this this episode is 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 really good just because of, because of him. It's one of the few episodes that I kind of doesn't really feel like the main characters are the center of attention, but it's still good. Usually that doesn't work out too well. I think Space Seed is one of the, one of those rare episodes where Khan is kind of the main focus of the episode, or at least it kind of felt that way to me, or his performance as Khan just kind of dominated the whole episode. Um, he's a great villain. Um, it's, it, it's really, you know, I, you know, this is a kind of a new idea, you know, the, um, the hibernation pod, you know, um, eugenics wars, um, you get a lot of, um, different kind of, um, history background into, um, you know the federation so um, there's a lot here it's a you know i thought it was a really great episode it's yeah it's certainly a very dense episode even just from the point of view of all the history of you know the uh, the history of the star trek universe right mm-hmm. there's so much going on from that point of view uh it's almost hard to keep up unless you've seen it a billion times like we all have and, and know all this stuff pretty well but, you know, when you imagine all this was completely, you know, invented whole cloth, uh, I, I find it pretty impressive that it that it works so well. But I but I, I agree with you, Adam, that so much of it is is Montalban. He's he's just amazing. I mean, he's got so much charisma. Um, he steals every scene and the camera just wants to sit on him. You know, you can't help but look at him, um, which works pretty well for this part. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, 
Let me see your first thoughts about Spacey. Yeah, I tried to kind of watch it independent of its history and its, you know, the fact that it's the precursor to, um, you know, arguably the best movie. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that's what that's what people think of first, you know, and it it is it's it is very entertaining. I mean, you have you have uh, again, yeah, like you said, Ricardo Montalban playing the. Uh, con it's you know it's it's that's that's so much but it's also entertaining from the perspective of it's one of these kinds of things and we've seen it in other series and other times where you essentially have a a, a bottle show it's all on the ship except for when they go to the ship that they're um you know in, in cryogenic stasis or whatever and you have this you know mind game you know take back the ship kind of thing you know and when those are done well those are often entertaining you know because it requires people coming together and uh, figuring problem solving and uh, you know whose side is who on and this kind of thing so that's also and there's some great who's that guy moments perhaps some of the best of the series so <laughs> yeah. yeah well I, I've talked many times about my favorite dialogue is, is often subtext and, and when you have scenes where they're kind of talking about you know what they're saying is about one thing what they're really talking about is another I, I enjoy that mm-hmm. I always talked about how much I that's why I liked Garrick so much on DS9 because that's the only way he knew to talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know that that scene, that dinner scene is really wonderful. You know where Kirk and crew, I think they're in their dress uniforms, right? Mm-hmm. They're kind of interrogating Khan, but you know not so obvious. But Khan's too smart for that, so he sees through it, and he's like, Ah, yes, you know, Captain, you're using your you're second in command here to do this while you do that. Very smart of you, blah, blah, blah. But but he's still, you know, they're still so good uh, that Khan blows his cover, you know, mm-hmm. even when he sees it coming. Um, part of that is probably just his own incredible arrogance uh, that even if you know who I am, it doesn't really matter because I'm, I'm, I'm smarter and stronger than you. Yeah. I, I like also, this is a very, very specific thing, but I, I like that it's that same arrogance um, we see it to an extent in the in the feature. His arrogance is what you know causes him to um, lose. <laughs> finally, even though he is smarter, uh, but here you know it doesn't occur to him that uh, what's her name, Marla, mm-hmm. would betray him. You know when she says, you know, I, I need to step away from this. He's like, I wish you were smart, stronger, but fine. You know it doesn't even occur to him uh, that she's going to go release Kirk. You know, mm-hmm. so I I like that. Uh, I think that's a, a nice insight uh, into his character in a in a solid way for him to kind of lose. But mm-hmm. um, um, I also just because it pops in my head, I gotta say I actually I kind of enjoyed the new Botany Bay and the new effects. I I maybe we're we're starting to sound like broken records. It seems like we liked it, even when you could make the you know the argument that it's not the greatest new effects work they ever did. It is a little flat, but I think it's fun. Everybody watched the mm-hmm. the new effects work yeah. on this one. Yeah, I mean it's not like they went. They didn't create some totally different looking ship. It's obviously the Botany Bay. When um you know after the fiasco that was Star Trek the motion picture, uh and the powers that be at Paramount said okay we're never giving Gene Roddenberry money to make a movie again because he went like you know three times over budget and and it's really boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, whether you agree that it's boring or not, these are facts that the people that put up the money felt that way and they said we're never going to let Gene Roddenberry make a movie again um, and they brought in Harve Bennett the guy that was so good at making TV shows really cheaply like the Six Million Dollar Man and they said you know 
hey, make us a movie. Uh, he didn't know anything about Star Trek. And he sat down and he watched every episode of the original series. And it says something that it was when he watched, you know, after after he watched the whole thing, he's like, you know, that, that episode, Space Seed, that's one that I think not just, it's not like he, I don't think he was necessarily watching all these episodes and thinking, which one can I do a sequel to? You know, mm-hmm. he was trying to learn about the show and get the feel for it and get an idea of what. Um, but this episode was so strong to him. Montalban's performance was so good, you know, that it stood out to him in a way that he, that he thought we can make an entire movie, you know, with this. Mm-hmm. That says something about Spacey. You know, I guess it would have been hard to you know to push the story forward, but I kind of thought um, Kirk was very, you know, I thought they were kind of soft on a, you know, presumed, uh, you know, they knew he was genetic, genetically enhanced, they knew where he was from, but yet they kind of, you know, they let him read the technical manuals and, and stuff like that. It, it just kind of seemed like um, Kirk was off his game. He wasn't very his his guard was yeah. down with with Khan <laughs> quite a bit. Look, they were hundreds of years removed from this kind of person. I don't. I mean, they can read about. What it means? Oh, they, oh! Look, it says this guy is has uh, super intelligence and super strength or whatever. I don't. I, I think that that's just reads shallow. I think that I think he legitimately didn't understand. Underestimated him. Yeah, what that really means, you know. And and the first time we see that, even even Spock, um, as 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 emotional as he can <laughs> say anything, says his uh, he's got us. His his studying of our technical manuals was incredibly thorough you know he's thought of everything spock basically says you know and you can almost hear it in spock's voice like <laughs> like he's impressed yeah. even though he knows it means he's screwed um so yeah i don't i don't think that they had any concept of just how dangerous he was intelli- intelligent he is yeah and dangerous yeah well and kind of you know this this ep- they the way this episode ends it, it's it ends perfectly for a sequel I think maybe that that might have been another reason, you know, Bennett kind of, you know, it, they leave the door open for like, okay, where are these guys at, you know, 20 years down the road? Yeah. Kirk drops all the charges and stuff. Do you think that he was too lenient? It's a little bit hazardous, that move, right? I mean, someone is that resourceful with a whole bunch of other people that are resourceful and let's just leave them on a planet and just kind of let, let it be. I mean, I, you know, it's... Yeah, even if you thought the odds were long, you know, there's always that chance that someone will come along and uh, they can, you know, and and it'd be his responsibility if some other ship came along and he took, you know. Which is precisely what happens. Yes. So, yeah, I, I don't, I think that wasn't so smart. <laughs> but they thought it was City Alpha 6, right? Isn't that what City, uh, City Alpha 6 actually, what, what happened? Right. Yeah. yeah. I like the bit where... Um, Khan shows Kirk his like clay modeling skills. Like, look, I made this phaser <laughs> out of clay. <laughs> I like the scene with um, Khan and McCoy when Khan has the knife to his throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What does he say? Um, Either choke me or cut my throat. Make up your mind. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's pretty good. Uh-huh. It does sound like something, I mean, you know, McCoy would say, right? By today's standards, is kind of the con strongman treatment of Marla a little sexist or is it does it still kind of work here I was kind of on the borderline on, on the fence about that one I don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's clear to say nope it's totally sexist by today's standards maybe I'm maybe I'm naive or sexist in saying that yeah I was borderline because he's you know he, he's tr- he's just trying to manipulate her I don't know if yeah. it's necessarily 
Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to say. A woman thing. Yeah, so it's a fine power line. thing. I mean, you know, it could be interpreted either way. It wasn't like last last episode where we had the uh, females computers thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, you talk about this this being an oddity because it's a little bit of um, the guest stars episode. I think that is that is true to an extent, m- more than usual, or or better said in a way that usually means it's not going to be any good or we're not going to like it, but it is good and we do like it. Um, but there is still Kirk stuff in here. There is still Spock stuff in here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think Spock is, I mean, excuse me, Kirk is um, forced to accept that this guy is smarter and stronger than him. And it's probably only his experience kind of like in the feature that, that gets him to defeat Khan. But I, I like that scene. There's a really nice exchange between kind of Kirk and Spock when they're talking about, the lack of facts, you know, and historical facts surrounding the Botany Bay and stuff. Kind of near the beginning, if you remember that scene. I think it's on the bridge. Mm-hmm. Also, I, I just generally, I like the idea of this character that's... MacGyver's is actually the historian, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They call it ship historian like every ship's got one. <laughs> yeah, right, of course. And that's so broad, like, how would anybody be well-versed in any particular era, you know? I mean, it's like, oh, yeah... Her, but her quarters was her quarters really you know tied her character together. <laughs> <laughs> Historian and artist and yeah. yeah, would that would that be like going in Sulu's quarters and it's all like, um, you know, little ships and <laughs> <laughs> flight sticks from old ships? I don't know. All right, all right. Uh, all right. The last thing I want to say here is how incredible it is to me. Of course. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan is and forever will be Khan. You know, it's 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 such a behemoth, not just in Star Trek, but in almost the history of cinema, um, that you will never say Khan and picture Space Seed first, mm-hmm. even even though this is a, a great episode. But what amazes me is, despite the fact that in my brain I, I see 15 years later, Montalban, the character is all here. Mm-hmm. You know, he really is. The performance is all here. It's pretty amazing to me um, how complete it is historically, entirely from this episode. You know, um, his motivations, his reason for existence. Um, it's all here in this in this one episode. That that's uh, that's pretty striking. What do you guys think this episode is about? Don't underestimate your enemy. Um, the past can come back to haunt you. There's a... I don't know, what do you got, Steve? It's hard to say. I mean, you know, whenever you have these genetic superior people kind of thing, there's always going to be a little bit of the arrogance and, um, you know, under... And that's what's interesting is the whole notion of, like you said, underestimating people goes both ways right in this episode and that's what's so fascinating about it you know it's like you, you, you Kirk starts by underestimating what this guy's about and then he underestimates just because you're smarter and stronger he underestimates those who are, are lesser quote unquote and so they ultimately defeat him you know by by working together and so on and then and then it wraps up with essentially a um a show of mercy in a way, you know, um, whether you want to say that was a mistake or a weakness or, 
a proper human moral thing to do. I don't know, but I think I think that's it's interesting. It's kind of the uh, it's kind of the arrogant Superman versus the hum, you know humanity, the common man, and you know what what wins out and that that kind of interplay there. I mean, it's interesting. Over the years, I, I've gotten so used to watching this episode, like right before I watched Star Trek Two, that it was weird <laughs> to watch this and not watch Star Trek Two. <laughs> You watched Into Darkness, didn't you, Brian? No. <laughs> I did not do that. <laughs> I have watched uh, over the years, I think I've watched Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2, and then watched um, First Contact before, but it's not nearly the direct mm-hmm. sequel in, in, the, in the way this is. But yeah, just a great episode, and I think this is an episode that you could play for any, even people that, even young people that aren't Star Trek fans, I think that they, 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 they Montalban is just so good, and the writing is is so solid that I think you could probably play this for just about anybody. I think, with the exception of who's that guy, I think this this would mm-hmm. pretty much play on modern television. To be honest with you, which for a fifty year old yeah. episode of television is pretty amazing. All right, let's do six degrees for Space Seed, Adam. Since you started our discussion, you're going to start our six degrees. Okay. Ricardo Montalban plays Khan Noonien Singh. Of course, he will reprise this role in Star Trek II. What year did that film come out? Is it 1982? You are correct. Steve, what character is not seen in this episode by us, the audience, but was apparently seen by Khan? <laughs> that was far too easy, wasn't it? No, Chekhov. I'm going to have a forget a face. Never forget a face. Mr. Even one that wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One to one, moving on. A Taste of Armageddon, Season 1, Episode 23, Production Code 023. Original air date, February 23rd, 1967. Directed by Joseph Pevney. Story by Robert Hamner. Teleplay by Gene L. Kuhn and Robert Hamner. Music composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include David Opatoshu as Anon 7, Gene Lyons as Ambassador Robert Fox, Barbara Babcock as Mia 3, Miko Miyama as Yeoman Tamara, David L. Ross as Lieutenant Galloway, Sean Kenny as Lieutenant DePaul, Robert Sampson as SAR-6, and Walker Edmiston as Aminiar Security Voice. The Enterprise travels to Imyar-7 to bring Ambassador Robert Fox to establish diplomatic relations between the Federation and Imyar. There's little known about the Imyar beyond they have an inter-system space travel and have had a long-standing war between them and their neighboring planet, Vindicar. The only contact had been made by the USS Valiant, which previously traveled to the system before it mysteriously disappeared and was lost. Mr. Fox, they've faked a message from the captain. They've launched an attack against our ship. Now you want us to trust them openly? I want you and expect you to obey my lawful orders. No, sir. I won't lower the screens. Your refusal to comply with my orders has endangered the entire success of this mission. I can have you sent to a penal colony for this. That you can, sir. But I won't lower the screens. A taste of Armageddon. Now, explain to me the usefulness of having a General Order 24 (laughs) that says, in two hours, you would destroy the entire planet and all life on it. In in what scenario would that be a useful order? There wasn't this scenario. I guess so. Not to mention ethical order. I mean, to have such, you know, it's... hmm. 
My memory was that this was the made up. I I don't. I remember him making up something at one. Yeah, point. yeah. He's he's made up general orders before. I yeah. thought the same thing. But not there. Nope. <laughs> I thought that until until Scott comes on and says, "Heads up, we're two hours. You're all dead. We're gonna bomb the crap out of you." Uh, all right, uh, Steve. Why don't you start us on Taste of Armageddon and General Order Twenty Four? Okay. Well, um, so, all right, so we've got another episode where some clowns on the bridge and barking at everybody, and that's great, and um, and let's see what else I was, I'm just kind of going through my notes here. I have a note about that. I wrote down, Enterprise attacked, Ambassador Fox employs stupidity. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then later I wrote, Spock saves the stupid ambassador from being stupid by not being stupid. <laughs> I, yeah, I like, I like Sc- scotty and his remarks about this guy as it goes it's kind of so you know <laughs> and uh and then i also some, for some reason i thought it was funny when they beam down to the planet and just because one of the people coming to meet them is female you get the chick music yeah you know the chick music whenever a chick right. gets coming like it's good like somewhat attractive at least you know it's like no no okay and but then the, then it doesn't go anywhere so that's what kind of makes it squirrely well that's because most of the music in today's episodes will wasn't written for these episodes. Yeah. Even Space, Space Seed, none of that music was written for Space Seed. It was all from other episodes. Right, right, right. And then I always remember everyone's got the name, the numbers after their names, and it's just kind of a thing and no one ever talks about. And uh, and then it's kind of a, uh, this isn't like talking the computer to death, but it's kind of the next best thing Close. you see several yeah. times. It's the, I'm just going to like tear up your whole infrastructure you know, and the way of doing things. I feel the need to interject here and say I'm making fun of a lot of stuff in this episode such as General Order 24 um, and the stupid ambassador and stuff, but I actually think this is a solid episode. I, I kind of like it. Yeah, I, I don't I, yeah, I don't think it's bad by any means. But it is fun. It's, it's, it's one of those that just has, has a lot of stuff like this to you can... Um, the funny ray guns that kind of like nothing comes out you know and just stuff blows up you know yet they also just knock over people too you know you never know what you're gonna get and uh and, and we also see a little bit of the it's like, it's like a box of chocolates this episode. <laughs> and you also see the a little taste of the kirk fighting technique that we saw a few episodes back that we talked about <laughs> last time with the just jumping into people thing and also i will point out that for the second time it doesn't work I mean, he gets captured <laughs> <laughs> and i mean maybe maybe we don't see it anymore because he learns his lesson you know it's just going <laughs> just piling on to people like a pinball machine just only takes you so far you know you think he's, he's like later in his quarters he's like why didn't that work i don't get it <laughs> I'll, I'll, I better start employing the karate chop more often because yeah. the flying into people isn't cutting it. Yeah, I never, you know, I'd come to think of it, I don't ever remember seeing Spock throwing his body at people. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should talk with him about this. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea, though, of this episode, this idea that, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very, like, cerebral, yeah. I don't know, 60s, almost like... Uh, sci-fi short story concept you know yeah oh they've been at war for 500 years and they just do it all with the computers and the computers tell say who has to die or whatever and then they walk in into the chamber and they don't you know i mean it's um i think it's a really cool idea um and it's still and it still basically holds up in this and this these ideas about they've lost the horrors of war and the horrors of war are needed to make you decide not to have war yeah um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I, I, I think that stuff 
and and makes this episode episode still work and and i still enjoy it um and also the the actor david opatoshu right um the 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 actor that plays a non-seven i think he's pretty solid actually Mm -hmm. i think he's got a fair amount of gravitas um especially for this this role where he's nothing sums this up episode up better than a scene that doesn't have any of our principles in it that first scene when the ambassador comes down Mm -hmm. um and he's like we see stupid ambassador <laughs> yeah and that's that's a lot of it and then the other half is we see anon 7 and he's he's the leader but this is the this is their way and this is the only way it works to them and he says i'm very sorry yes you you have to die now i'm very sorry that's it you know that that scene's actually i mean it's funny obviously <laughs> for the stupid ambassador but mm-hmm. it's it works it that that's the scenario that he's used to. He's not uh, on on seven. I mean, he's not used to Kirk, <laughs> you know. But he's used to this. This works, you know. Yeah. Um, Adam, I feel like I cut you off for this conversation. Um, what are your feelings on uh, Taysom Armageddon? Taysom, um, yeah, I kind of feel the same. How does it How does it taste to you? Is what I'm really asking. It tastes sulfury. <laughs> um, I I agree with a lot of the points that um, you and Steve made. I I like the concept. Um. Really, that's what, yeah, it's kind of, it's basically what makes this episode, you know, it'll be easy to talk about what this episode's about. Um, so I won't go over that too much. I, I think um, Khan rubbed off on Kirk a little bit going in this episode. He's rather arrogant and presumptuous about what he's going, going to do. He's like, I am, you know, there's a lot of these, I'm going to yeah. stop. I'm it. just getting started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah, like those a- lines and all, but you're right. I did think about... You know he's he's known these people for all of ten minutes, and he's about to change their entire way of life without very much consideration. But I think he, you know, in what the, in the opening teaser, the prime directive didn't, you know, stand. What, what was the deal with that? I forgot. I didn't have it down in my notes because they said that there was a message saying that they warned him not to go, and Kirk, and that's the one Kirk, and you can tell that Kirk and the ambassador weren't going to get along because the ambassadors were going anyway. Well, there was a ship missing all this time. The Valiant, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty fat. I mean, it's a fascinating for it's for science fiction, you know, just to kind of you know gloss over war. You know, hey, we're just gonna you know, just gonna walk into a disintegrator. You know, it's just all it's all computer games. Which you know, anybody's watched any science fiction, our computers are just gonna stalemate against each other. So this is always gonna be a never-ending war. Yeah, uh, it would have been cooler if that that little room there where Kirk destroys the computers. If one of them had said Whopper, <laughs> I would have enjoyed that. Yes. How, how does this episode compare to your memory of it? Do you, did you remember it? Um. Yeah, I did remember it. I don't. I remember seeing it. I remember it more from about ten, twelve years ago, more than I do from my childhood. Um. To be honest, but yeah, I remember liking it. Like I said, I agree with you, Brian. It's a solid episode. It's got a. It's got some solid things to say. It's got some action. It's got some goofiness, too. Um, one of the things that I had a question about in my notes is how did Fox beam down after Scotty told him that he wasn't going to let him beam down? I didn't quite get that. Well, he said he wasn't going to drop the screens, uh, but presumably you'd have to drop the screens to beam down, but there was... It's not like that was the very next scene, you know? Right. So, I'm, I mean, I guess there must have been some more stuff happen. Steve? 
Steve usually notices this kind of crap when the you and I are like, wait, what? what? Steve <laughs> usually knows. <laughs> this little minutia that has, has really nothing to do with it. No, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that, that that was firmly established here. Um, yeah, I, I, the reason I had it down because it just kind of takes away from Scotty standing up to him and, you know, I'm going to face a court martial and then, you know. No, he probably, later. maybe he thinks he is going to get killed down there and he just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let him go. He's an idiot. Sooner, sooner or later, all the ambassadors are gonna, you know, they'll all be dead, mm-hmm. and then Kirk will get promoted, and I'll be captain. That's maybe what he was thinking. <laughs> um, is this like a one-time thing where Spot can sort of do some that was kind of bizarre mind stuff through a wall? Mm. Is that just a you have to retcon it in or something? I guess that's that's pretty powerful. I don't think we've seen much of that. Well, it's not like he, I mean, he's not mind melding with them or something. He's just kind of. Suggestions, mind tickling. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just to get some mind foreplay. Just to get him to walk into the room, really. Yeah, I, yeah. We I don't think we've seen anything before or since. I mean, really, that that type of deal. There's one. I have a criticism for this episode. I think that, um, un- unlike say Space Seed, where I mean, again, it was kind of borderline whether it was sexist by today's standards, but whether or not you believe that, certainly. Uh, Marla MacGyver's in Space Seed is a pretty critical character, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. In Taste of Armageddon, uh, I cannot remember the character's name now, but that kind of speaks to my point, which is the woman is—they don't really use her character in, in any in any meaningful way. Like the 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 Enterprise crew person. No. No. Are no, you talking about the, no, the, oh, the oh the Barbara Babcock character? Or yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. She's just kind of there. Yeah. Mia. Yeah three or whatever mm-hmm. yeah i'd agree there once she's rescued from the disintegrator there's not they don't really have much for her character to do so that's i think that's kind of a a, a weak point in this episode especially considering how strong uh anon seven is as a character mm-hmm. i love how they went back to their original ho- holding hotel room or whatever that was their holding lounge because nobody would ever think to check for us here. <laughs> Convenient also that we don't have to build another set. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of freaky, that, that disintegration chamber. I mean, the first time we see it, it sure looks like it's, I don't know, a husband and wife or something. It's like, but you can see them close enough. Maybe they weren't intended for you to see that, intending for you to see that, like, in HD someday. But it sure looks like they're just, like, you know, going off to work. Okay, bye, honey, bye. You <laughs> know, That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, yeah. What is this episode about? Well, I think a lot of this, you know, the dangers and horrors of war, um, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's why you don't fight wars when it's made to look all nice and neat. No, I just, I just think, yeah, I think it's the same idea. I mean, I think that it's like when, when war becomes routine is when it really becomes uh, the most dangerous and the most costly is because it just, you you take the feeling out of it, you take the horrors out of it, and that's what you ultimately get with this thing. And I think, as we kind of alluded to, why it feels like a sci-fi story from the 60s is because it's, you know, it's rebelling against, you know, world events and Vietnam and so on. And then the notion was, I think, the writers and young people and those people that, you know, um, protested against the war, um, you know, their mindset is you have a whole bunch of people that are very far removed from it that are just calculating and um, just taking action without really considering the loss of life and how it affects others in that sense. I think this is kind of the culmination of all that stuff. I think another thing is like, you know, questioning your belief systems because obviously these these civilizations had been doing this for 500 years and there was no 
Mm-hmm. No questioning of, oh, okay, I got to go die today because mm-hmm. I'm told to, you know. So, um, it's you know, I think you have a lot of that, you know, why, why do you, you know, I guess we, you were talking about with the, the female lead in this in this show because he's like, why do you, you know, when Kirk's talking to her, you don't have to die, that kind of thing. You know, you question why you're doing this. All right, let's do Six Degrees for Taste of Armageddon. Our score is one to one. Um... Adam, you went first last time, correct? Steve. Yep. David Opatoshu. Opatoshu. Uh, plays a non seven. The leader that prefers fake war to real war, the latter being rather messy. Gene Roddenberry originally considered him, David, to play the doctor in the original Trek pilot, The Cage. Name the character. Mm. That's a tough one, I thought, maybe. Oh, gosh. I'm probably mixing up some of these things. Boyle? You are so close. I almost want to give it to you, mm. but I won't. Okay. Adam? Mm. Doyle? Doyle. Boyce. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dr. Philip Boyce. That's All right. right. Yeah. <laughs> You're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> I like you. I like that. It's a good effort, Adam Doyle. That's good. Well, at least he didn't hire like Doctor Gomer Pyle. <laughs> Spinoff that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be editing all this laughter out. I'm sure it's too long. Good time. All right, Adam. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Barbara Babcock plays Mia Three, the woman that is only too happy to have Kirk interrupt her trip to the disintegrating chamber. In the original series' third season, she played Falana, leader of the Platonians. Fill in the blank for the episode title, Plato's Blank. Plato's Blank. Um, man. Plato's Players. Steve? Stepchildren? You're correct. Plato's stepchildren. Steve has two, Adam has one. We are moving on. The Side of Paradise, Season 1, Episode 24, Production Code 025, Original Air Date, March 2nd, 1967, Directed by Ralph Sinensky, Story by D.C. Fontana and Nathan Butler, Teleplay by D.C. Fontana, Music Composed by Alexander Courage. Guest cast include Jill Ireland as Layla Kalami, Frank Overton as Elias Sandoval, Grant Woods as Lieutenant Kellowitz, Michael Barrier as Lieutenant DeSalle, Dick Scoter as Painter, Eddie Paskey as Crewman, and Walter Edmiston as Voice of Transporter Chief. The Enterprise is ordered to Federation Colony on Omicroni Seti 3. Shortly after the colony was founded some years prior, it was discovered the planet was bathed in brethold rays, a lethal form of radiation. Having lost communications with the colony recently and fearing the colonists' decease, the Federation wants the Enterprise crew to recover the colonists and their equipment. Miss Colomi, you'll have to Come back with us to the settlement and prepare to transport up to the ship. There'll be no evacuation, Jim. But perhaps we should go back and get you straightened out. Mr. Sulu, Mr. Spark is under arrest and he's in your custody until we get back to the Enterprise. This side of paradise. Okay. Um, I certainly remember this episode well. Well, actually, the, the first, whatever, ten minutes or so, I'm like, wait, which episode is this? But, you know, once it gets going, yeah, this I remember this episode well for all the things it does for Spock's character. 
And I appreciate those things. But I think I've always kind of maybe not been as fond of this episode as it seems so many are. I remember that... Who did that book? Was it Jay Erdman? There was... No, Paula Block. There was a... There was a like Star Trek 101 book where they picked like the 10 most essential episodes from each series if you if you were new to them. And this episode was on that list for the original series and and I know like a lot of people would would agree with that. And 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 again, I I respect what this episode does for Spock's character. Um and certainly his performance is 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 strong, but I've kind of never cared for this episode. I think it I think it just kind of meanders and it's it's got problems for me. Um, Steve, what are, you know, what's your first reaction here to this side of paradise? Yeah, it's certainly memorable, and there's kind of a goofy factor going on in some respects here. And I, I agree that, you know, inside of the Spock is interesting. Um, there's just some stuff over the top. I will say there's, if you're in the right mood, there's some really just knock you off your feet, laughing out loud moments. Mm. You know, if, if you're <laughs> in the right place, and I, I'll mention two. One is after after Spock tells that tells Kirk that he's having a mint making a mint julep just the way he delivers. That's a drink, Jim, is so squirrely it cracks me up. <laughs> and then I like the uh, of course the plant popping out of nowhere on the bridge when Kirk's alone. <laughs> and <laughs> just like what on earth? <laughs> Feed me Seymour <laughs> And then he just and then he's all of a sudden he does his thing and he, you know, it's like, oh, I understand now, you know. Um, so it's so goofy. And then it's pretty funny, the whole how he starts offending Spock and the things he says to him and tries to hit him and stuff or carry on with it. That's, that's entertaining. Did he tell him to sit on a mushroom? Did I have that down there? <laughs> <laughs> Is he just saying the first things that come out of his head? What's going on here? Yeah, just... That scene, that, that their fight in the transfer room. transporter room it's got some of the strongest who's that guy ever because the room is small they can't get the camera very far back like a wide angle on it you know and it's one of those things usually i mean i understand why they're they're not going to risk these actors getting hurt and stop production of course same reason any show is used as a stunt people but like that scene they switch to a stunt guy, a who's that guy moment that's so clear. They do that just for him to pick up a little tiny, tiny table and hold it over his head. What was that table made out of that they're like, mm, if he drops that table? When he has the table over his head in the in the in the point of the Kirk point of view shot, so it's not uh, like yeah, the, yeah, the, ca- the cameraman was at risk there. I mean, depending on what the table's made of. But so what was there a take where he like really throws it at him then? Or, I mean, I don't understand. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure why they had to use stunt actors. That's all I'm saying. Adam, uh, what do you think of this side of paradise? Is it better than the other side of paradise? You know, Brian, it's funny. <laughs> how does uh, it taste? It's, it tastes like musty flowers. I I would tend to agree with you, Brian. I actually think this is the weakest of the three episodes that we talked about today. Yeah, I agree with that. I did, like I said, I'm I'm in agreement with you about you know the insights into Spock. You know you. They kind of tease you, tease you there at the beginning, you know, they have the girl music come in and you see the, the face of the blonde and you expect the next shot to be of Kirk going, hey, baby, and it actually goes straight to, to um, um, Spock, so yeah. it's kind of nice. I was like, okay, we get some, we get some nice, <coughs> excuse me, some nice background on, on Mr. Spock here. And apparently he has another name that can't be pronounced, so. Hmm, yes. 
Was this a thing? I remember reading about that. Like somebody wrote in, somebody wrote into Star Trek and and asked. Maybe it was in a magazine in the seventies. Listeners, if you remember this, tell me. At some point, somebody asked about that. Somebody asked DC because DC Fontana wrote this episode, right? Or, or did the rewrite anyway? And asked her what was that other name, and then she just like hit a bunch of keys on the keyboard to make no sense. <laughs> and then that was like actually reported as. As his name for a long time, am I remembering that right, or is that totally made up? I don't. There was something like that. I couldn't find it. I, I believe I you. I don't recall it. though. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, why do you think? You know, we're in the minority here. This this episode is remembered better than than we're giving it credit for. Even even over the years, I remember the interviews with. DC Fontana and Leonard Nimoy talking about this, the quality of this episode. And I've never, I don't think it's like the worst episode ever, but I definitely agree that it's, it's the weakest of today. I mean, I think, I think Space Seed is incredible. One of the greatest episodes of any television show ever. We'd all agree about that. Um, and then I think, um, Taste of Armageddon was a solid original series episode. Good. And I think this one is, uh, weak, but it seems like, most people would say, watch this one and skip Taste of Armageddon if you had, you know, if you're trying to understand them. Why, why do you think that is? I think it just boils down to the Spock scenes. You get to see such a different Spock in this episode. Is it really all that different? I mean, yeah, the, his last line, you know, for for the first time in my life, I was happy. I mean, that's that certainly means something, but do we really get anything in here that we didn't get in, say, one of the very first episodes, that episode when, when, was that, was that Naked Time? Mm-hmm. When he when he breaks down by himself, you know, remember that scene, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. right episode, you know, doesn't something like that give us the same kind of insight, much more efficiently? Yeah, this one we get the humor, humorous Spock. Okay, I don't know. I think there may be a couple different uh, demographics, or you know, the, that this appeals to. One might be that since there's a, a bit of a romance, and that's like some kind of, especially with Spock, that's kind of a rare thing. So there might be people yeah. interested in getting that angle. Um, and I think there's also might be that because it's a, it's basically like a drugged up everyone living off the land kind of, you know, thing. There might be a group that is attracted to that kind of vibe or something. Even though really, the, you know, when we get to that, what the episode's about, it's obviously flying in the face of that. But uh, what or what's desirable, I suppose. So I don't know. It may be that there's just a certain a certain strong attraction to certain groups by the for this episode and what's going on with it. But that's just a supposition. Okay. Well, I mean, I. There's some logic to that. I, I I would respect that. You're right. There isn't that. That is that is a difference. Seeing an actual a little bit of a romance with with Spock. It was a little bit uh, for the time. A little bit kind of, you know, um, strong to basically Kirk saying, you know, when he's trying to taunt him, you know, and you, you know, you, whatever he said, you have the, the nerve to make love to that woman, you know, basically saying it straight up, you know. Like he witnessed it or something. I don't know what. Kirk calls Spock a half breed. That sounds flat out racist to me. Yep, indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- I still felt it was very strong, you know, right now, watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, it made me uncomfortable. I I felt a little bit like only because these two are so close, uh, um, can can they get away with the? Can they come back from this? I guess is what I'm saying. Right, right. You know, Spock understands. He he's he's logical. He's intelligent. And of course, it's you know. We're, we're focusing on Spock because of just 
again, it just it illustrates how good Nimoy is too, you know, because he he pulls this off without making it just over the top goofy or something. He always does, you know, but this kind of, you know, you don't feel like it's, it's not genuine or something. Like if you were to remove his inhibitions, you know, let him feel this kind of thing, this might be what you get, you know, and it doesn't feel just totally foreign or odd or something. And then when he comes back that whole transition seems natural somehow, you know, but you know, it's funny, you know, the way they set this episode up where, you know, this, these flower spores that, you know, they give you peace and happiness and stuff like that. I mean, it you can really only get a different side of Spock in this episode, you know. We see McCoy, it's kind of just a one-dimensional southern Yeah, you get the, it boosts the southern drawl and yeah. you start drinking, you know. Kirk really has nothing to do but, but Well, which happened first? I'm yeah, not Kirk sure. really has nothing to do but run around and be like, "Oh, that's mute, you know, don't leave the you're not leaving the ship. You're not leaving there just, you know, just all um yeah, I'm leaving." I'm not listening to you. You know, they just kind of all... You know. And somehow he's he's magic, you know, that he can fight this off. I was just going to say, how is he able to fight it off in a way that nobody else could? Yeah. The first time, I didn't understand because he was he irritated or was he not supposed to be in that sh- as close to the exploding flowers in that first shot? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I kind of wonder, you kind of say he wasn't as close the first time, but the second time, when he comes, basically when he comes to the realization that it's going on, you didn't think what he went through was enough to put him over the edge. Like, oh, yeah, I got a little ticked off, so, and that raises the question, so in years and years these people went on there, no one's got pissed off? I mean, that's kind of the odd thing, too. It's like, nothing has caused these people to, like, hmm, what's happening here, you know? Yeah, you think it'd trip, trip over a rock and then... Uh, yeah, just an accident. Whatever, yeah. The Sandoval character was kind of weak for me. He didn't really have much to do, I guess, but I just, uh, you know, this this whole episode... I, I don't know. You I, you guys are helping me understand a little bit as to why it's it seems um, to be so well appreciated. It doesn't make necessarily make me have those same feelings but at least i'm understanding better why other people do and that's that's something yeah so let's talk about what it's about because as you said in a way it seems like it's you know there's there's some contradictory things going on there on one hand it seems worthwhile for spock to say you know hey i felt love and i felt happy um on the other hand it's very clearly saying uh these people's pursuit of contentment and happiness is not worthwhile, and they have wasted their years. Right. So let's talk about what it's about. Let's talk about that contradiction, and it, and if you think it really had one point of view over the other. I th- I think what's interesting about this, and I, and I I do agree, it's the it's the weakest of the three probably, but I think there's there's there are some layers deep down. I think what's interesting is that if Taking at face value, you look at the, you know, what happens at the end, and and Kirk, you know, if it's coming out of Kirk's mouth, it kind of holds more weight. So you get this idea of, it's like, no, we're, you know, humanity's not made for, we're not meant for paradise, and blah blah blah, this kind of stuff. You get the, you get the vibe that indeed it's a waste of time if you're not doing something quote unquote constructive or worthwhile that holds value, creates value, whatever. And so that seems to be the lesson. The thing is, though, too, is you you do get a lot of scene because you have on the other side, you have Spock. You know, it's not just any random person. It's Spock. It's the it's the next most pivotal, you know, influenced character or whatever in the episode, in the, in the series. So and he 
even though he recognizes and comes out of it and all of that, he does say, I was happy for the first time I was happy. And you, you see general, general, you know, genuine contentment. I mean, yes, there's some subversive stuff when they're, when they're trying to like, you know, get other people on board and like, oh, let's get them drugged up. So they join us too. I mean, you know, this is you you question what choice is involved there. You know, if, if you get spores in your face and someone does that to you and you know what's going to happen, you know, it's, that's, that's a negative thing. But I do see what you're saying. There's, it's, it's somewhat contradictory because you could see how, you know, people could find, oh, this is, this is peaceful and everyone just does what they do and they have enough to eat and they're cool. And who gives a rip on how much they, produce or if it's constructive and then you have the starfleet influence or ultimately just kirk saying well we're not meant for paradise and here's what's got to happen and that seems to be the lesson so i i think i think what i'm not sure how they would have done it but i think what could have made this better is to somehow try to try to um try to try to delve more into and or and or come to terms with the notion of balance you know and finding that you know, we're not going to throw a moral in your face and this is bad, this is good, but to say like, well, this is what I got out of, this is what I got out of it, and you know, and I, I don't know, something. But that, that's my thought on that. Yeah, I think maybe they could have used a little bit more contrast in this episode because, you know, the sport, you know, not, not too bad of a deal, you know, your body all heals up, you, I guess you stay young, you know, the same age or whatever you are once you're sport and, you know, you're happy. These people aren't, unambitious i mean they're growing crops they've got three different colonies on the planet so it's not like they're not trying to cultivate things and do things you know it'd be you know so i think maybe a better contrast would have helped this episode some more between you know not grow. you know i, I can't look at these pe- people and say you know they weren't they weren't growing or doing anything as human beings and you know just what this wasn't quite enough there to to make a counter argument is that us being modern and here in 2016 as we discuss this you know or do you think it was more clear in the 60s that they were going for that was that a more common viewpoint um that they would have been wasting their days if they were merely content yeah i think it was more common back then yeah, I think I think there there would have been a there would have been a certain group certainly that would have. You mean p- push back against this that concept or no? Yeah, yeah, there would have been a certain group that would have said, "Hey, like we're kind of exploring here. Like, what's what's so bad about a, a colony of people that might not be as efficient as possible, but they're all happy and they're not hurting anybody else, and so on and so forth." I think there've been people out there that would have been cool with that in 1967, but a relatively small percentage compared to now. Yeah. Interesting. So it could be a little bit that our our own cultural values have have shifted a little. Yeah. Sure. And 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 affected the way we see this. Okay. Let's do six degrees for this side of paradise. I believe Steve has two and Adam has one. Adam. Yep. Are you going first or second? I'll go first. Which series regular does not appear in this episode? Would that be Scotty? You're correct. It's a tie. Let's Steve see if Steve can take it for the day. Ta-da. What starbase has Kirk been ordered to take the colonists to? Jeez. Oh, it is a number. Figures. Um. It's Weird Al's favorite number. Oh shoot! I don't. I don't know that. If you've ever, if you've listened to any of his songs ever. Okay. 
It's got one number he references all the time. Good. I was <laughs> well, uh, 12. No. Adam? 11. 27. Okay. Hmm. okay. Yeah. Weird Al says 27 is a very funny number. I think he's right. I think it's funny. Hmm. <laughs> all tied up. Muy bien. Yeah. All right. all right, folks. That's another one in the books. Our last regular episode of 2016. The next time we review original series Star Trek episodes, it will be 2017. But first, two weeks from now, but we are going to be doing a Rogue One discussion. It'll either be one week or two weeks from now that we'll put up the Rogue One discussion. It will be completely full of spoilers. I will remind you again at that time that if you haven't seen Rogue One, you will definitely not want to listen to that podcast. But that will be our traditional annual holiday episode where we do not review episodes of Star Trek. We just talk about other stuff. Um, if you have any ideas for other stuff you'd like us to talk about, please, or if you got an email you'd like us to read or whatever, if you can send us an email, that's trekcompanion at gmail.com. You can also send us suggestions on Facebook or Twitter. That's facebook.com slash trekcompanion, and our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. I'm excited to do that, but I'm also excited for us to get into 2017. It's going to be another exciting year for Star Trek as we get a, a new TV series. So, thanks again for spending an hour with us, and until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.